Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. You can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our Facebook, YouTube, and podcast channels. Consider hitting like or subscribe. Consider sharing this sermon with others. It helps us to reach more people like you. We are so thankful to those who support our ministry. You can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give. In the name of our one true and loving God, amen. Please be seated. As I begin this sermon this morning, a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, Just yesterday, we buried one of the matriarchs of our parish, Martha Bonds. And the Bible intimates that God can be a bit of a trickster at times. And our Martha Bonds, she could also be a bit of a trickster. And I sort of wonder whether God and Martha didn't conspire to have me preach this gospel the day after her service. I saw the gospel assigned for today and I just laughed. Because in all honesty, I really dislike how this gospel is usually preached. There are so many sermons out there that sort of scold the Marthas of a congregation. Be more like Mary, less like Martha, and be less focused on day-to-day tasks. Spend more time in prayer, they say. And preachers often miss in this gospel the biblical truth. Martha was busy getting Jesus' meal together. And that's not a small detail. And for generations, women in the pews have rolled their eyes at sermons preached by men who didn't spend enough time in the kitchen. I really wish there was about one more verse in this little episode from Luke. This is a section in Luke's gospel where you're getting kind of little episodes. And they could have done one more verse that just said, And Jesus got up and told the boys to help Martha out. (laughs) I'm reacting maybe a little bit to this today because our Martha, Martha Bonds, in some ways fit this story from Luke's gospel. Many of my memories of Martha involve her back in the sacristy or up at the altar preparing the table. Martha spent time in the kitchen preparing meals for her family, and in that family, family is defined widely. So especially this morning, no one is going to tell me that holy work can't be done in the kitchen. In fact, in my experience, that's where most holy work seems to happen. Today won't be one of those usual sermons about learning to be less of a Martha and more of a Mary. Instead, I want to sit with one word that our gospel uses to describe Martha of Bethany. Distracted. How well does that word describe so many of us? unchecked in this century, distractions will only multiply. The sense of hurry, the sense of busy will only speed up. These are all questions of time. I don't think we spend enough time thinking about time as Christians. There's a lot to be said about time in our Bible. What practices help you calm your pace? Where do you find your center? What are you doing to slow down? I've been spending some time lately with the work of a Scottish theologian named John Swinton. He's a Presbyterian, but we'll forgive him that uh, because he specializes in the theology of disability. 
And I've been reading the theology of disability because we as a congregation have been slowed down in this work. Before the pandemic, we were getting ready to open a third Sunday service specifically for folks in the neurodiversity spectrum and folks with disability. And the pandemic has slowed that work way down. And maybe that slowdown was a good thing. In his book, Becoming Friends with Time, Disability, Timefulness, and Gentle Discipleship, John Swinton argues that our 21st century emphases on speed and efficiency are part of the problem, part of the problem around welcoming people with disabilities. Think about all the problematic language around neurodiversity that is focused on speed, on time. People whose brains work differently have often been called slow or other iterations of that word. And the language is problematic. And Swinton encouraged us to ask instead whether the surrounding society has become too fast. He points to the work of a Japanese theologian, Kosuke Koyama, who wrote about a three-mile-an-hour god. A three-mile-an-hour god. And Koyama points out that the average speed at which a human being walks is three miles an hour. God became incarnate at a time when most people walked everywhere. Jesus walked almost everywhere, and Jesus walked slowly. Listen to these words from John Swinton. Love has a speed. We may choose to stigmatize, alienate, downgrade, and exclude people for taking up too much of our time, for being slow in pace, speech, wit, or intellect. But in the face of the three-mile-an-hour God, such ways of being in our world become revelatory of what it means to love and be fully human. The love of God is inexorably slow. Jesus walked slowly. Love takes time. I know that my own life is often too fast. I definitely try and move faster than three miles an hour on most days. I find myself frustrated in, with somebody in the grocery store or, God forbid, on the highway when they're taking up too much time. We live in a world that prioritizes moving fast. In such a world, people who have to move at a different pace can help us to learn to slow down. If we choose to take the time to recognize the gift of friendship with someone for whom movement or speech or thought moves differently, and that relationship can help us reprioritize. Speed at church is a particular sort of question. I have at times prided myself on the efficiency of our worship. Think about that, efficiency of worship. Poor Mary Chapman can tell you I often tease her about the length of an anthem from the choir. Yeah. It's especially dangerous that we post our sermons online because I can just look at the timestamp on YouTube or Spotify and know whether I have hit that ideal Episcopal 12 minutes or less. I'm not going to hit it today. 
It's funny how ingrained this ideal about ideal sermon time has become for us among clergy. I wonder if ideal times for other things in other workplaces are similarly timed. But the early reformers of our tradition at the Reformation, they didn't say anything about how many minutes a, a sermon should last. Possibly because back then, no one had watches with minute hands. The technology to measure minutes didn't exist for about a hundred years or so after Luther and Calvin and Cranmer. This idea of minutes is new. Literally no one was counting minutes back then. Still, I've heard stories about an old church warden who used to sit with a newspaper folded in the pew and, and a stopwatch. And this story is an old one. I've heard it from priests who started their ministry like 30, 40 years ago, and many of them told it from generations before them. And they talk about uh, this warden who supposedly, if the sermon went over 12 minutes, would just unfold the big Sunday newspaper and start reading. Marva Don would have told that warden to calm down. Don was a professor of worship in Canada, and she would have told me to worry less about sermon and anthem length as well. And Marva Don described worship, get this, as a royal waste of time. A royal waste of time. It's funny for a church leader to describe it that way, but she chose the words intentionally. First, she said royal. And Don tells us that worship is not for us. It isn't. Worship is about God. We need to remember that worship is for God so we don't get self-centered and ask, what am I getting out of this? And Don also says she chose the word waste purposefully. We waste our time with God here. We don't try to get something out of worship. It's a waste not something productive. That sounds tricky, but if you think about it, I know at least for me, some of the best time I ever have spent has been wasted. It's when I have wasted time with friends, hiking or fishing, or just hanging out in my parents' kitchen. We could all do with wasting a bit more of our time that way. And wasting time is great if you've got good company. So why not waste time with God? Just spend time receiving God's grace, God's love. In all honesty, I know that some folks are probably listening to the sermon while driving or vacuuming or on a walk with the dog. Now, hopefully somebody is listening while out hiking or watching the sermon at a tent while camping. The reality of the pandemic means that our habits for worship have been totally scrambled. We can worship wherever we are. And there's something beautiful about that. And don't get me wrong, I love that I can spend a moment with God even while I listen to a colleague's sermon doing laps in the pool. But if you haven't been in church for a while, or if you're here and it's your first time in the church building in a bit, I wanna encourage you to feel what this is like what makes it different about being in person? Waste time in church. There's something about turning your phone off when you enter the building, smelling the beeswax of the candles, seeing the smiles on the faces of parishioners, 
receiving the bread and wine made holy. You don't get any extra points with God for being here. There's nothing tangible we receive in this building, intangible religious benefits, as the IRS has us put it on giving statements. That's all we get. But something happens when we engage in the royal waste of time. This hour or so we spend in church, it has the capacity to slow us down. It's one of many practices that can slow us down and perhaps slow us down enough that the three-mile-an-hour God has a chance of catching up. Spiritual practices often are about helping us slow down so that we can remember who is supposed to follow whom. I know many of us at times might respond, Mike, how can you preach about slowing down when there's so much to do? There are so many major issues of injustice. We need to be busy about doing God's work in the world. Evil isn't slowing down. How can we? So here's the trick. I really think most of what we face as a society can only be faced slowly. The kind of justice we most need won't come because we spent an hour composing a perfect op-ed or worse, the perfect tweet. One well-executed protest, one perfectly written sign won't cut it. The kind of justice we seek can only be built over years. The justice of God, like the love of God, moves slowly. God's justice is the slow, patient work of relationship building. God's justice leaves no one out. And the kind of justice we desire can only be built by unlikely allies spending hours over kitchen tables. There's that holy work in the kitchen again. Holy work happens in the kitchen. And part of what I most admired about Martha Bonds was that she approached her work in the sacristy like she approached her work in the kitchen as a slow practice of being with God and with God's people. Martha didn't move fast, especially in recent years, but it was about more than her physical speed. While she was doing her work, Martha made time for the folks around her. In the sacristy, she gave advice. In the kitchen, she listened. As she moved around here in the church, she often teased Mary about her shoes, lovingly saying, I wouldn't wear those. Martha took the time even while going about her tasks to notice people, to check in on them, to say, I love you. And this church was packed yesterday with people that wanted to say goodbye to Martha. So don't tell me that work in the kitchen doesn't count. Don't tell me that volunteering at church, doing what might be called busy work, doesn't make a difference. This isn't about being more of a Mary and less of a Martha. It's about being more of Martha, if you're Martha. What matters is gently listening, gently letting go of our sense of hurry. If we can stop seeing our work as a distraction, if we can focus our attention, the division between work and prayer might just fade away. With practice, we can learn to be a Martha, we can intentionally waste time on love. Amen.